This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. We begin with a legend in the entertainment world, Lucille Ball, an American actress, comedian, model, film studio executive, producer, and she was also known as the star of the self-produced sitcoms I Love Lucy, the Lucy Desi Comedy Hour, the Lucy Show, Here's Lucy, and Life with Lucy. Her career began way back in 1929 when she landed work as a model. Shortly thereafter, she began performing on Broadway and later appeared in several minor film roles in the 30s and 40s as a contract player for RKO Radio Pictures, being cast as a chorus girl or similar roles. During that time, she met Cuban band leader Desi Arnaz, and the two eloped November 1940, and in the 50s, Lucille Ball ventured into television. And in 51, she and Desi created the sitcom I Love Lucy, a series that became one of the most beloved programs in television history. And radio benefited from her talents, too, as you hear tonight in her performance in My Favorite Husband. It's time for My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Yes, it's the Gay Family series starring Lucille Ball with Richard Denning. Brought to you by the Jell-O family of desserts. J-E-L-L-O Oh, the big red letters stand for the Jell-O family. Oh, the big red letters stand for the Jell-O family. That's Jell-O. Yum, yum, yum. Jell-O pudding. Yum, yum, yum. Jell-O cap. The yoga pudding And now Lucille Ball with Richard Denning as Liz and George Cooper. Two people who live together and like it. As we look in on the Cooper household this morning, George Cooper is seated at the breakfast table. Katie, the maid, is in the kitchen singing happily, and Liz has just tiptoed softly downstairs and into the kitchen. Oh, what a beautiful morning! Oh, what a beautiful day. I got a wonderful feeling. Oh, Mrs. Cooper, it's you. I was afraid my lungs had sprung a leak. <laughs> Not so loud, Katie. I don't want George to hear me. Uh-oh. What did you go underground for this time? Oh, it's absolutely ridiculous. George is blaming me for something I didn't do. Well, that's not fair. What didn't you do? Save any money last year. <laughs> oh. It's the same thing every year. He starts figuring up accounts for the income tax people and tries to find out why all our money has drained away. What did he find out? Shake hands with the leak in the dike. <laughs> 
Plex to review all my 1949 accounts the first thing this morning. Well, maybe he's forgotten. Oh, not George. He has the memory of an elephant. Liz, is that you? Uh, come on in the breakfast room. Yeah, there's Dumbo now. <laughs> morning, dear. Well, have fun. Good morning, George. Good morning, honey. Well, Liz, we just have time to go over your accounts before I go to the bank. George, let's let bygones be bygones. Start off with a clean slate, huh? Why cry over spilt money? (laughs) No, Liz. I'm going to show you the value of bookkeeping. Now, last January, I I gave you a little black budget book, and you promised you'd keep it religiously all year. And I did. So, now I can just simply look in the book and find out what you've been spending. Oh, you can, huh? (laughs) Well, certainly. Uh, Where is it? Uh, It's right here in the buffet drawer. Here. See, now, now, I don't want to accuse you unjustly, so if this budget shows you've been... Liz, this book is blank. I thought you said you kept it. I did. I kept it right there in that drawer. <laughs> oh, Liz. I even kept it religiously. Every month I prayed you wouldn't ask to see it. <laughs> Elizabeth, I'm ashamed of you. Not one single entry in this whole book. There is two. You're looking at the back of the book. Now look toward the front. Hmm. Well, let's see. Uh, December, November, October, September. Keep going. August, July, June. Keep going. May, April, March, February. Try January. (laughs) Thanks. Do you mean to say that you only kept an account of your expenses for one month? No. What then? One week. Oh, that's the last straw of all the dopey now, things that... Now, George, there's no need getting excited. All you need is that one week. What? If you want to find out how much I spent during the year, you just multiply the one week by 65. 65? 56? 24? Uh, well, the number of weeks in a year. Never mind. Now, let's take a look at this fateful week in the little black book. Yeah. Expenses for week ending January 8th, 1949. January 1st, newsboy, 50 cents. Cleaning, $1. Toothpaste, 39 cents. Miscellaneous, $180. <laughs> what in the world is miscellaneous? Miscellaneous, you know, rent, food, telephone, gas, electric, that stuff. Oh, that stuff. Yeah. Uh. Well, that's enough from the book, George. You'll be late for the bank. Now, wait a minute. What's this item here? GTL, $10. What is GTL? Oh, that. Well, that's a little joke of mine. It's the code for my visits to the beauty parlor. (laughs) uh, What does the GTL stand for? Uh, gilding the lily. (laughs) (laughs) I told you it was a joke. I guess it's not very funny. I'll say it isn't. If you spend $10 a week, that's $520 a year in the beauty parlor. Oh, now, George, you're not going to ask me to give that up. I certainly am. We've got to cut down somewhere, Liz. But why there? Can't we start somewhere else? Sure, we can cut out some miscellaneous, like rent and groceries. Okay. (laughs) Liz? 
But, George, women need to go to the beauty parlor. Well, maybe other women, but it's just a waste of money for you to go. What? <laughs> well, I mean, you're so pretty, it's a waste of money. You know, gilding the lily, like you said. Well, you certainly got out of that one. <laughs> Liz, when, when we first got married, you, you did your own nails and you washed your own hair. Well, you could still do it. I can't think of one good reason for you to go to a beauty parlor at all. You can't? No. <laughs> well, George, I've never told you this before. I hope you won't be disillusioned, but my hair isn't naturally red. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. And if I don't have it fixed every week, some strange things are liable to happen on top of my noggin. You don't say. Yes. This glorious sunset will fade and night will fall on my scalp. Well, I've got news for you. Let it go back to its natural color. I liked it that way. You did? Yes. It was a very pretty shade of... Well, sort of a... Hey, what color was it? See, you can't even remember. Well, for your information, George Cooper, the girl you married had hair that was... It was sort of, um... <laughs> Gee, I can't remember myself. Well, this is a good time to find out. Let it grow in. Oh, George, you're not serious. Well, certainly am. This year, we're going to save that $10 a week. But I've got an appointment at Sally's this morning. Can't the old Lily have one last gilding? <laughs> no, we've got to cut down and we've got to start right now. Well, how come we're cutting down with my hair? Oh, don't worry, Liz. I'm not asking you to do anything that, that I'm not doing. George, you're not going to stop dyeing your hair, too. <laughs> no, Smarty. I canceled my membership in the athletic club. Ugh. <laughs> and it's all settled. You stay out of the beauty parlor, and I'll stay out of the athletic club. And this time next year, we'll have plenty of money. What good will it do? I'll never see it. Why not? You'll be too flabby to carry it in the house, and I'll be too ugly to go outside and look at it. <laughs> Mrs. Cooper, why have you been sitting there staring into the mirror all morning? I'm just trying to imagine what I'll look like in six months. <laughs> What's the matter? I just remembered what color my hair really is. <laughs> Light brown muckledy dun. <laughs> muckledy what? Muckledy dun. That's what my grandmother used to call any tan color that didn't have the guts to be brown. <laughs> Oh, Katie, I can't face it. I've got to keep that appointment with Sally. If I leave now, I can just make it. But you promised, Mr. Cooper. I can't help it. No woman in her right mind could keep that promise. I'll save the money by giving up something that's not as important, like eating. Well, what if it catches you? I'll plead temporary insanity. <laughs> Salon, Sally speaking. Yes, ma'am, I can take you this afternoon, shampoo and set. Do you want our weekly special, a beer rinse? <laughs> That's right, beer. 
Our slogan this week is half a beer rinse and put a head on your hair. <laughs> I got, uh, hello? Hello? <laughs> you hung up. No sense of humor. Oh, pardon me. You're Sally, aren't you? Yeah. You're Mr. Cooper. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I wonder if you do me a favor. Oh, sure, Mr. Cooper. I'll squeeze you in. What do you want, a touch-up? <laughs> no. Uh, look, uh, Mrs. Cooper has an appointment this morning, hasn't she? Yeah, she ought to be here any minute. Well, well, I want to surprise her. Oh, isn't that cute? You two are still in love, aren't you? Uh, yeah. Uh, which booth will she be in? Well, that one behind you. Yeah, well, well, don't tell her I'm here. I'll just hide behind the curtain. Okay. Oh, when she sees you, she'll die. <laughs> you can say that again. <laughs> Now, remember, not a word. Okay. Am I late, Sally? No. Go on in the booth. Sally, come here a minute. Sally, as far as you're concerned, I'm not here, see? What do you mean? <laughs> well, I promised my husband this morning that I wouldn't be coming here anymore. Oh, uh, Mrs. Cooper, in the Outh Bay. <laughs> what? In the Outh Bay. What are you trying to say? In the Outh Bay. Oh, George! <laughs> oh, gee. I, I, I tried to tell you, Mrs. Cooper. Well, um, I, I got a mud pack in Booth, too. I'll go chip it off. <laughs> oh, Liz. I was hoping I wouldn't find you here. Well, you certainly came to the wrong place. You didn't want to find me. Why did you come sneaking around where I said I wouldn't be? <laughs> Sit down, Liz. I want to talk to you. This morning at breakfast, you said you wouldn't come down here. You lied to me. I did not. How do you figure that? My bacon was crossed. That doesn't matter. Well, if you're going to make your own rules... Liz, if you're going to act like a child, I'll, I'll treat you like one. Now, from now on, I'm handling all the finances in this family. I'll pay all the bills and handle all the cash. But, George... If you want to be a baby, you can be one. Now, now, give me your checkbook. Oh, George. All right. Now your change. Come on, give. And I'll just take this along. Oh, no, not that, George. Hand it over. But it's an heirloom. My grandmother gave me that charger plate. <laughs> Hand it over. Now, have I forgotten anything? Yes, you forgot to hold me up by my heels and shake me. Well, three days have elapsed since George Cooper stamped Liz no funds. And now we find Liz desperately trying to figure out where she can find some money. Mrs. Cooper, what on earth are you doing to that couch? I'm looking for money under the cushions. <laughs> you know, after George takes a nap here, it's like panning for gold. Any luck? Oh, I got a big haul. Three bobby pins, a nail file, a thimble, and half a sandwich. <laughs> My goodness, what kind of a sandwich? Peanut butter and lint. <laughs> you might as well relax, Mrs. Cooper. After all, you can get money for anything you really need. Yeah, except the beauty parlor. 
You know what I'm going to do, Katie? I'm going to get a green wig and tell him I dyed my own hair and it came out that color. Oh, no, that's pretty drastic, Mrs. Cooper. Um, just wait. Um, maybe he'll get tired of having you run to him every time you want money. Yeah, maybe I can help him get tired. <laughs> help him? Yes, I'm going down to the bank, Katie. George will be sorry he ever started this. <laughs> Did you want to see me, Mr. Atterbury? Yes, yes, George boy. Add this column of figures for me, will you? I'm not a well man. I've got a headache and my eyes are jumpy. Oh. Is there anything I can do? No, no, there's nothing anyone can do. I've got a television hangover. <laughs> oh. uh, what was on? Nothing. <laughs> Wasn't a thing on that I'd spend two minutes looking at. Well, how long did you watch it? Six hours. <laughs> I hated myself the whole time. Well, why didn't you turn it off? You can't help yourself, boy. It hypnotizes you. You sit down to watch Ed win, and six hours later, you find yourself sending in for a hop-along Cassidy hat. <laughs> yeah, I guess television really gets you. Well, I'll uh, add those figures for you. Uh, no, no, let's add them together. That way we're bound to be right. Yeah, all right. Uh, five and four are nine, and eight is seventeen, and four is twenty-one. Hi, fellas. Liz, what, what are you doing here? Pardon me, George, but I have to see you a minute. Uh, this is Miss Finley. Miss Finley, this is my husband. How do you do, Mr. Cooper? And this is my husband's boss, Mr. Atterbury. How do you do, Mr. Atterbury? How do you do? Well, he's a grumpy old codger. <laughs> oh, no wonder. He's got liver spots. Your liver out of whack, mister? <laughs> Liz, what do you want? Well, George, since you're paying all the bills, I don't have any money, and I just took a book back to Miss Finley's lending library, and I owe her for it. So all I... right, all right. I'll give her a check. How much is it, Miss Finley? Fourteen cents. <laughs> Liz? She took it out a week ago at three o'clock, and it's one minute to three now. I believe you. Here's your... Uh, Mr. Atterbury, have you got two pennies? George, I'm not well. <laughs> My nerves. But... But I, I've got to give her 14 cents. It's 16 cents now. <laughs> Past three o'clock. New day, you know. Well, here's 20 cents. Now get out of here. Well, my goodness, we're going. Yes, goodbye, George. We'll get change for that dime, Miss Finley. You can give me the four cents he overpaid you. <laughs> Look, Mr. Atterbury, I, I can explain. Never mind. You see, what... never, never mind, never mind, George. Let's just get these figures added. Uh, yes, sir. But where were we? At the beginning. Mm -hmm. Five and four and nine. And eight makes seventeen. Plus eight is fourteen hundred and sixty-seven. Plus four is fourteen hundred and seventy-one. Plus. Hi, fellas. Oh no! Come on in, Lefty. Okay, little lady. Well, there's Kukla and Fran. Where's Ollie? 
Liz, what's the matter with you? I'm sorry, George, but I owe Mr. Lefty some money. This is my husband, Mr. Cooper. Hello, Cupy. <laughs> Cupy? I'm losing my grip on reality. <laughs> oh, well, don't mind Lefty. He likes to give people nicknames. Uh, this is Mr. Atterbury, my husband's boss. I'd love to know you, Atterbaby. <laughs> Liz, will you get out of here? Not until we pay Mr. Lefty. How much? Same thing the Tribune's always been, three cents. <laughs> here. Thanks. You want a paper, Cupid? No. Well, how about you, Mr. Rutabaker? <laughs> My name is Atababy. Rutabaker. baby. Slavishnacky. Like a fuck. Get out of here. Hey, you don't have to get so huffy-puffy. What kind of a bank is this? I'm ashamed to share the same color with you, please. Paper, Tribune, paper, Tribune. Come here, Liz. Put down that paperweight. Give it to me, George. I'm a better shot. <laughs> Mr. Atterbury, I'm terribly sorry about these interruptions But George insists There's nothing I can do Liz, there's something you can do If you know what's good for you Now get out of here And don't come back with any more silly bills Then give me some money No All right, George, you asked for it I'm going to go home and dye my own hair I don't care if you shave your head <laughs> Oh, no, no That's how everybody looks on television <laughs> Well, just don't be surprised when you see me again Goodbye, Cupie Goodbye Goodbye, Mr. Uh, I dare you <laughs> Rudaberry Get a baggie Get out of here Well, that's the last time, sir Now, now let's get back to these figures well, wait till the column comes round again. Uh, now, do, you, do you remember where we were? Yes. Uh, Fourteen hundred and... Uh, Fourteen hundred and... Uh, five and four and nine, nine and eight and seventeen and, and four. Good afternoon. May I help you? Yes, um, I'd like to buy a wig. Well, that's what we sell. Now, what did you have in mind? Blonde, brunette, or redhead? Green. <laughs> yes, madam, I'll... I, I beg your pardon. Did you say green? Yes, I'd like a green wig. Do you have one? Yes, I... I think we have one. Do you mind if it has a false nose attached to it? <laughs> Well, I guess it is a rather unusual request. You see, I want to surprise my husband. It'll be a shock, but it'll do him good. Drinker, eh? <laughs> no. Uh, may I please see a green wig? Something about the color of this dress I have on. All right. What size wig? I don't know. Well, just slip off that one you have on and we'll look inside. <laughs> This is my own hair. Come on, lady. You don't have to be embarrassed in front of me. Take it off. 
<laughs> Listen, if I take my hair off, my head comes with it. This belongs to me. Give me two pulls. <laughs> Look, will you give me that wig or not? Okay, okay, wait a minute Here, try this one There's a mirror right behind you there All right Oh, look With this green dress and the green hair I look like I'm peeking out of a pickle Eight, makes $753,259.34. We're finished. My nerves were about to snap. Yeah, it was quite a strain, wasn't it? Well, write it down, boy. Write it down. We don't want to lose that number after all this. Hi, fellas. Oh, no. Liz. But you... Your, your hair. I knew it. I knew it. It finally got me. It looks like Liz has green hair. <laughs> oh, Liz, what sort of joke is this? It's no joke, George. My hair is really this color. Oh, no. And it's all your fault. I tried to dye my hair at home and something went wrong. Oh, but, but, but how, how did it get green? Well, I didn't have any henna, so I used Easter egg dye. Uh, the doctor said, Atterbury, if you don't slow down, you're going to crack up. That's what he said. <laughs> oh, Liz, you, you look awful. You think I look awful now? You should have seen me before I washed the chickies and the bunnies off my forehead. <laughs> I'll just go away for a few weeks. That's right. <laughs> My goodness, Mr. Atterbury, your face matches my wig. <laughs> I've been sick. Well, now, take that thing off, Liz. Uh, Mr. Atterbury, I know this looks, looks ridiculous, but, but I, I can explain. Uh, never mind the explanation, George. Not now. I'm going home and lie down. At least we got those figures straightened out. You did write that number down, didn't you? Number? The number, the number. The, you wrote it down. You wrote it down, didn't you? Oh. No. Oh, no, no. no. <laughs> you see, George, this all happened because you wouldn't let me go to the beauty parlor. Now can I go? No, you can't. Pardon me, sir. What? Would you take me to Hopalong Cassidy, please? <laughs> he needs me. Needs you? Yes. I'm his horse. Done it, Liz. He snapped his twig. <laughs> oh, come on, Mr. Atterbury. I'll take you home. I'll help. You will not. You're not leaving here till you get the right answer to that column of figures. Me? Figures? Start adding. Oh, come on, Mr. Atterbury. Oh, five and four are seven. <laughs> and eight is thirteen, and six is twenty-two. Yes, Lucille, where away tonight? Tonight, Robert, you are an archaeologist who has just discovered some ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics. A little Egyptian music, Wilbur, something like my mummy done told me. Oh, if I only knew what these hieroglyphics say, but no one has ever been able to read them. 
Pardon me, my friend, but I can help you, I think. Who are you? I am the ghost of an ancient Egyptian. My grandfather was King Tut, and my father was King Tut Tut. <laughs> and I am Princess Ah. Hey, wait a minute. You sound Mexican. I know I do. Well, how come? Who knows what an Egyptian sounds like? <laughs> well, this is a great moment for science. I said this is a great moment for science. Gee. What do you know about those hieroglyphics on the wall? I wrote them. Can you read them? No, I never learned how to read. <laughs> well, look, will you try? Yes, gee. First, there's a little box with big red letters on it. Gee. Does that stand for jello? It better. <laughs> well, what's next? The uh, six delicious flavors? Oh, gee, strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, and lemon. <laughs> and uh, I can't read the next word. Is it obliterated? No, I think it's lime. <laughs> that's amazing. What you say? I said that's amazing. No, I think it's lime. <laughs> no, look, I mean the message. It must go on to say that jello makes you think of the real ripe fruit itself. Oh. And the flavor is locked in by a special process so it can't get out till your first delectable spoonful. That is right. 2,000 years ago, we liked all six delicious flavors. <laughs> Strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and amazing. <laughs> no. Obliterated? <laughs> no. I'm only kidding. I knew it all the time. Good night. <laughs> Be sure to listen to Lucille Ball and My Favorite Husband again next week, presented by... J-E-L-L Oh, the big red letters stand for the Jell-O family Oh, the big red letters stand for the Jell-O family That's Jell-O Yum, yum, yum Jell-O pudding Yum, yum, yum Jell-O caps Fioca pudding Jack-o-ree This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting Stay tuned for Sam Spade next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Now, Sam Spade solves another crime, and here's the episode entitled The Champion Caper. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic, the non-alcoholic hair tonic that contains lanolin. Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men and women and children, too. Sam State Detective Agency? Me, sweetheart. Oh, Sam, I'm so glad you called. Why? I don't know. I always ask. Was it a good case, Sam? I didn't like it. Where are you? Morgue, San Mateo. Oh, somebody killed? Yes. And, well, do you know who did it? Yep. That's good. No, that's bad. Bad? Believe it or not, F, I wish I didn't know who killed who. I don't understand. 
Oh, Sam, you sound so downhearted. Well, I'm sorry. I'll try to loosen up. Stay where you are, sweetheart. I'll be right down to dictate my report on the champion caper. Dashiell Hammett, America's leading detective fiction writer and creator of Sam Spade, the hard-boiled private eye, and William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, join their talents to make your hair stand on end with the adventures of Sam Spade. Presented by the makers of Wild Root Cream Oil for the hair. And now, with Howard Dove starring as Spade, Wild Root brings to the air the greatest private detective of them all in the adventures of Sam Spade. afternoon paper. I don't understand it either. Stop that. Really, after all this time, you'd think I'd be acclimatized to all kinds of human storms. I've got my pencil already. I'm myself again. I'm ready, Sam. Sam, date? Date, August 7th, 1949. To... To whom, Sam? Jack Manelli. Two Detective Lieutenant Manelli. Homicide <coughs> Detail, San Mateo Police. From Samuel State, License Number 127596. Subject? Are you listening, Sam? Subject, the champion caper. Dear Manelli. You were there for the end of it, and I was there for the start of it, which is in the reception office of Elliot Champion's brokerage house in San Mateo, and where I first met Mildred Champion. Remember that old salve, how a woman in love is always beautiful? When I went in, I had no idea she was in love and no idea she was beautiful. Not because she'd lately been crying, but her sallow face without makeup, framed in a wisp of blonde hair, wasn't flattered by the shapeless black dress, cotton stockings, and low-heeled shoes she was wearing. Certainly not the going idea of beauty. Nor did her conversation reveal anything to indicate love. Oh, yes. May I help you? Uh, Mr. Elliot Champion. My name's Spade. Spade. S-P-A-D-E? You don't have to write it. He's expecting me. Your business, Mr. Spade? Private. I have to have a little more than that, I'm afraid. Always this hot here? Uh, Mr. Champion can't stand fresh air. Obviously. Uh, that's what makes it so warm in here. I'm sorry. Yeah, it is hot. Uh, just flip the switch and tell him I'm here. Well, what is it, Mildred? I was just going out. Mr. Spade is here, says you're expecting him. But, but I don't find him listed in your appointment book. Don't be an idiot. Send him in. Send him in. You may go in now, Mr. Spade. He always liked that? He's nice today. Sorry, Mildred. That's your name, isn't it? His office is the first on the right. Don't bother. I'll find him. Thank you. I'll, I'll just go to lunch. Mr. Champion? Well, don't just stand there. Come in and shut the door. What I have to discuss with you is private. I don't want that snoopy niece of mine listening to our conversation. She's out to lunch now. But does she listen in often? All the time. Why? She didn't know who I was. <laughs> I outsmarted her there. I called you from the drugstore on the corner. I don't want anyone to know who you are, why you're here. Oh, now, where did I put that lighter? Behind the inkwell. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh. 
I'm a dangerous man to play games with. Joseph's found that out once, and if he keeps this business up, he's going to find it out again. No games, you're dangerous. Say, are you mocking me, Spade? Just wondering what you're talking about. I just told you, you got ears, haven't you? Joe Joseph's is back in town, and I'm not going to fool around with him. Mildred told me you were nice today. Oh, she did, did she? Well, Mildred talks too much. That's what's the matter with her. She talks too much. And you'd fire her, only she's your niece, and you'd have to pay somebody else three times what you pay her to take everything she has to take. Get out of my office! Oh, no, no. Wait a minute, Spade. Oh, it's just hot, I guess. I... Uh, who has turned on the heat? It's Joe Joseph's. He was released from San Quentin this week. I've been receiving telephone calls from him telling me to beware and to watch out and a lot of other nonsense. What was he doing at San Quentin? Two to five on an embezzling count. He's an ungrateful scoundrel, that's what he is. I took him into my office as a junior executive, and six months later... He got tired of the $20 a week you were probably paying him and decided to dip into the bin. Only he did a bad job, got caught, you testified against him, now he's out and he's sore, and he's threatening you. And every time you yell cop around this town, there's always some snoopy reporter hanging around the sergeant's desk. Ain't that the truth. Listen, Spade. I've got a half a million dollars tied up in this business, and I don't want anybody thinking I might get knocked over by some loony with a grudge. And uh, that's why you didn't tell the police? Don't you believe me? It'll do for now. You'll think of something better. Now, see here, impertinence is 25 one thing... Twenty-five a day and... No. That'll be forty-five a day in expenses. I want you to find Joe Josephs and bring him to me. Nuisance warrant? More than that. I've got enough stuff in that desk drawer to send him back to Quentin if I have to. Oh, what kind of stuff? Leftover from his trial. It'll be grand larceny this time, and they don't stop at five years for that kind of thing. You withheld evidence? I withheld... Okay, get down. My back was only eight feet from the window, and it came through from the other building across the court. The silencer either ruined the marksman's aim, or he was just a bad shot, because out of six tries, he didn't connect with a thing but the desk lamp and a wastebasket. By that time, Champion and I were both on the floor. Champion on top of me. I kicked out to get loose, and he kicked me back. I gave that up and twisted around for my gun. Across the court, a window was open, about six inches, one corner of which was full of a dark-sleeved hand and a gun arm. I fired at it from what is known as number six position. It's him! It's him! Get him, Spade! Get him, Spade! What do you think I hired you for? I didn't bother to answer him. I went through the window, onto the fire escape, and over to the next building. I did more. I went in that building, which was apparently vacant, down the stairs, and started out the back entrance. Hey! Hey, oh, Charlie, watch it, watch it, will you? What's the big hurry? Hey, he came out of this building. Which way did he go? Who came out of what building? This building, right here, just a second ago. Here? Yes. Who? Him! Who? The guy who just ran down what these stairs. What'd you look sta- like? Well, he... Well, what'd you look like? I say, what'd you look like? Huh? Who? What? Where? Thanks. Don't mention it, Curly, any time. <laughs> I couldn't tell her what he looked like because I hadn't seen him. After a careful search of the building, which revealed nothing, I decided my suspect had eluded me for good, and I returned to the office of Elliot Champion. He was sitting on his green leather chair, wearing an expression to match. Uh, missed him, huh, Spade? What does Joseph's look like? Oh, I've got a couple of snapshots here somewhere. I... Oh, yes, here. Let's have a look. I was later to regret having those snapshots in my person. They showed a tall, thin-faced, haunted-looking guy, an old-looking 28, good face, shock of black hair and dark eyes. I've seen plenty of cons, embezzler type, and he wouldn't have been cast in the part in my movie. There was nothing about him to indicate that he'd embezzled $2,000 or use a silencer on a gun. I dug two thirty-eight slugs out of Champion's wall and went down to the street. Spade! Oh, Spade! 
He was a heavy set man in a dirty white Panama hat and seersucker suit that didn't fit him around the middle. Hey, just a minute, Speed. Just a minute. He crawled out of a black sedan, jammed a cigar in his mouth, and began sweating. He needed a shave. He'd always need a shave. Hot afternoon, ain't it? Yes, sir. Sure is hot. Sure is a hot afternoon. Here, here, my card. Lemuel Drigger, Confidential Investigations. Guess I should ought to have some new ones printed up, huh? I guess you should ought to, Lem, and change the name while you're at it. Yeah? Didn't the commissioner bounce you nine years ago for rolling a pack before you did the booking? Oh, let bygones be bygones, Spade. I'm in business for myself now. How's business, Lem? Punk. Try another racket, Lem. Uh, uh, Spade, you've been in to see old man champion, maybe? Maybe. Uh, I was just going to go in to see him myself when I spot you pull up. I... Recognize you from the pictures in the paper last week. I figure maybe you and me ought to talk. Uh, what did you figure you and me maybe ought to talk about, Lem? Oh, you make it tough for a guy, Spade. We're we're in the same business, you know. What you gonna see him about? So long, Lem. Hey, wait a minute. I'm an old gumboot, huh? A fat old gumboot who couldn't get as quick as a housekeeper or tail in a punk. Is that it? Okay, Spade. Okay, you're full of vinegar now, but just you keep my card. You want to see Lamb Drigger before it's all tied up? You want to see me? Screw, Lamb. But he was right. I did want to see him because when I got down to the Chronicle office and looked up a morgue on the Joe Joseph's trial, the first thing that jumped out at me was the name Lemuel Drigger. Lemuel Drigger, private detective who had been employed when Mr. Champion had become suspicious of Joseph's account irregularity. And who, together with Mr. Champion, caught Joseph's red-handed. And who willingly offered his testimony the same at the trial which convicted Joe Joseph to San Quentin for five years. The file also gave the name of Joseph's lawyer, a man named Anthony Spezer. The phone book showed an apartment address on Geary. That's you, Aggie? Hold on a minute. I was just trying to get dinner over before you showed up. But I guess I'm late tonight for you. Mr. Spezer? That's right. My name's Spade. I'm a private investigator. I'm trying to locate a former client of yours, a man named Joseph. Come in, come in. I was expecting Aggie, but come in. Thanks. I always fix my own dinner, poached egg and half and half. Ulcers. Name Spade? Yeah. Want an egg? Uh, no, thanks. I'm on duty. Mind if I finish? It's up to you. Uh, who's your client, Spade? Elliot Champion. Joe Joseph's is back in town, and he's been making telephone threats and throwing 38s around. 38s, huh? Mm-hmm. You know where he is? Joe was a nice kid, but a calendar job. Born with one war going on, a depression on deck, and another war in the hole. Makes a difference. The calendar got him. Everything was against him at the trial, too. I couldn't do anything. He thought I let him down and told me so. He got real sore when they read the book at him. Threatened champion and that private dick, uh... uh Lem Drigger. Drigger and everybody else. Said he was railroaded. You were his attorney? I know, I know, but he didn't have a chance in a million of beating that rap. He thought I ratted when I took the guilty plea in court's mercy. All for a lousy two grand. Well, he's done his time and he's out now. He hasn't gotten in touch with you? Nope. No threats? Nope. Have a right to you from prison? Nope. Any idea where he'd be in time? Nope. Is it possible he has a mother? Nope. Then I guess I leave you to Aggie. We play records. Aggie used to be a violinist. Well, it's up to her. Uh, Spade. Uh, Spade. Yeah? If you find Joe, tell him where I live. I'd like to see him. Why? 
don't know. Maybe I just want to see what five years in the pen does to a kid like that. Yeah. I'll bet you do. Yeah? Is this you, Mr. Spade? Who's this? This is Mildred Champion. Uh, remember me in my uncle's office? I remember. Mr. Spade, you're looking for Joe, aren't you? Well, I know you are. You don't have to answer me. I think I can help you find him. I must talk to you right away before something terrible happens. Please come out to the house before something terrible happens. It's right in the corner. I got out to the house as fast as I could, but not before something terrible had happened. The front door was open and all the lights were on, and Elliot Champion was lying at the foot of the stairs in the front hall, holding his lapel as if it would get away from him. Don't touch me. Don't try to move me. It's in my lungs somewhere. I I never thought. It didn't look like there'd be much use, but I beat it up the stairs to the hall phone to call emergency ambulance. Hello? Hello? What the? Uh, this is Joe. So you hired a private eye to look me up, huh? <laughs> well, he'll never find me, but I'll find you. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Champion, I'll be seeing you real soon. I uh, didn't get it then, but I got it a second later. I grabbed for the banister, missed, and hit the top railing. A pair of hands held me up long enough to go through my pockets and then let me go, and that's the last thing I remember. The makers of Wild Root Cream Oil are presenting the weekly Sunday adventure of Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, Sam Spade. to the champion caper. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. The neighbors had complained of gunshots, which was fortunate for me. I still might have been lying at the bottom of those stairs in Champion's house, Lieutenant, if you hadn't walked in, applied first aid, asked me my name, and listened to my story. You considered the threatening phone call after my client's death as a cover-up and promptly sent out a general alarm on Joe Joseph's. I took an aspirin and a taxi cab for home. Halfway uptown, I discovered the pictures of Joe Josephs were missing from my wallet. And that is why I was absent at the medical examiner's inquest this morning. Instead of going home, I went out to San Mateo, jimmied the lock of Champion's office, and violated city ordinance number 352B. My dead client's desk revealed one important item. An income tax voucher dated August 17, 1944, noting him delinquent. Then I found another important item. Same for 1943. His secretary's desk was even more interesting. What I found there led me to, one, call her home. Result, no answer. And two, to revisit attorney Spezer. I found him poaching another egg. All right, all right, I'm here. It's late, Aggie. What's the idea? Unless it's Beethoven, I don't... Oh, Spade. Aggie, ever show? Yeah, left early. Has to work tomorrow. Oh, it's too bad. What's with you... Still looking for Joe? Yep. Any leads? Wish I could help you, Spade. Elliot Champion was shot and killed in his home tonight. No. Is that all you have to say? Joe do it? 
Maybe. <sighs> you uh, don't seem scared for a mouthpiece Joe didn't like. If you mean should I be next, no. I'm not scared, Speed. The kids should realize that this time I liked them and did all I could. You've been here all evening? Aggie. Could you prove it? Yep. You may have to. Did you know Mildred Champion was married to Joe Josephs? Yeah. How'd you know? It's a secret. I found this marriage license in a desk drawer. Nosy, eh? I found something else. Champion didn't pay his income taxes all the time. Well, a lot of people are like that, Spade. Me, Glenn I Glenn Trigger testified against Joe at the trial. So did Champion. Mildred worked in the office, but she didn't testify. Wife can't testify against husband. Real good story, Spade. But uh, what about Joe? Champion had something on Lem Drigger, and Drigger had something on Champion. Joe's in between. You tell me, huh? Huh? All right, I'll tell you. It's all about a green kid hired into a brokerage firm to be framed on a phony embezzling charge to cover up a tax delinquency. You want to finish it? I can't. I don't know. You've got ideas, though. Yeah. Yeah, Spade, you're right. I've got ideas. And all of them make me sick inside. That kid stood there and told me he was innocent. He said it a million times if he said it once. And he told me he thought Champion was short with the income tax people. And if Champion was short, he could phony up a book and get a worn-out private detective like Drigger to testify that there'd been a fraud and Joe takes the rap. If that's what happened, they did it pretty good. Did you uh, mention anything like this at the trial? Surmise is not admissible. There was no way to investigate it and no way to prove it. Joe was a nice kid, Spade, and he told a good story. I've been fooled a lot of times... What do you think? I haven't met him yet. All right, he's done his five years. He came out. Now they want him for killing the man who sent him up. His whole life's gone. And for what? Spade, I hope you don't find him. I hope nobody ever finds him. But we did find Joe Joseph's lieutenant. He was right under our noses all the time. When I called you, you told me to come on down to the morgue of the county hospital. We both stood and looked at Joe Joseph's. Uh, it's a funny thing, Sam. We had an alarm out for an hour on this guy. We've been looking all over for him, and he turns up right here. Only he's dead. He's been dead since last night, about seven. Seven? Same time Champion was killed. TB. Just got the whole story. Had it awful bad in prison on a sick ward his last two years. Mm -hmm. Wanted out awful bad. When his time was up last week, he made him release him. But he wound up here, died in the hospital. He looks awful young to be a con and all. I don't know, Sam. He's just a kid, isn't he? Up until then, you had some kind of case against Joe Josephs. But when the medical examiner reported that my client had been shot with a 32, the rest of it began to fall into place. Glenn Trigger's office was a dirty room over a shoe repair shop on Mission Street. The glass on the door hadn't been washed in five years, and neither did anything else. You can hardly tell where the office left off, and Len began. Oh, hello, Spade. I have been waiting for you. I thought you'd get over for some talk-talk. What made you think that, Len? Well, you're here, ain't you? All right, let's make talk-talk. Did the silencer ruin your gun? Huh? Come on, come on. I want it all. Hey, you were... You phoned tonight after Champion was killed. You've been phoning him right along, saying it was Joe. No, just a minute, Spade. We're in the same racket. And you shot at him with a silencer on your 38 this afternoon to make it look real good. You can't prove anything. I didn't kill him. One slug out of your gun will match that up. Every cop carries a 38. You were a cop once. Now, Spade, you got this all wrong. You because you thought he'd called you in for protection. He called you in once on another job. Listen, I know what you're thinking, but I... And was so bad, you had to drum it up, didn't you? Joseph was released from prison, and it was unnatural, only it didn't work. 
champion called me instead, and you tried to shake me down. Well, I only thought we could kind of work together. You know, make it a good thing. And I, I told you once you should try another racket. But you didn't take my advice. Now you're going to have to. What do you mean? Because your license will be revoked pretty quick. You got into a lot of trouble about two minutes from now. I did? I was right here. What are you trying to... I swore out a complaint on you for assault and battery. Hey, wait a minute. I ain't done nothing to you. Champion's dead. Yes, you you did, Lamb. You tried to strike me, and I had to defend myself. And I did make out a complaint, Lieutenant. I phoned your office, and two of your men were on the way out to pick him up when I heard a footstep outside the door. I knew who was there and what she was there for, and I did the only thing I could think of at the moment. And it was lucky I did it. Her own thirty-two was in her hand when she came in the door. She looked at me and Lem's smoking gun in my hand, looked at him stretched out on the floor, then she looked back at me, and the gun fell from her hand, and she began to cry. Hello, Mildred. I wanted to do it. I came here to do it. I know. Why did you... To stop you. Why? My bullets went into the ceiling. He's just knocked out. No. No, he ought to be dead. Dead! Uh-uh, uh-uh. No, no, no. Not anymore, Mildred. You tricked me. You knew I was coming here. And you know he should die. You know it. That won't bring Joe back. How many real tramps have you met in your life, Mr. Spade? Lots. And some who just thought they were. Well, you met the genuine product yesterday. My uncle, for example. He stole money from himself and made it look like Joe did it. I know about that. And this one? Why didn't you let me kill him, too? Why? When I went over to see him in the hospital the first time, I knew he was dying. He had that look in his eyes. Helpless. And he knew what they'd done to him, and he couldn't do anything about it. But you figured that you could. So you killed your uncle when you found out Joe died, and you came here to kill them. They killed him. They killed Joe, and they sent him to prison. Five years I waited for him to get out of that awful place. I waited to hold him in my arms and tell him it was all over. Five years I waited to help him forget his hate, my hate. Five years I loved him so much every day. Oh, easy. And then he came back to me the way he did. Those pictures were all I had left of him after five years of waiting, loving him. Now he's dead. What can you or I or anybody do about what they've done to him? Look at me, Mr. Spade. Go ahead, look at me. I'm not what you'd call beautiful. I'm not even very pretty. Nobody would ever look at me twice. Well, Joe looked at me. And he loved me. Now he's dead. And I'm dead inside. I'm dead inside, and I'll be glad when I'm dead outside. <laughs> Period and a report. Oh, Sam, they were so unhappy. Yeah, add a notation that I won't be around for the coroner's inquest. Sam, you can't do This that. report, when duly notarized, should be admissible as testimony. I want to get out of town for a few days. Sour ragged. 
And now, listen to this. Later this evening, if you happen to stroll down to the corner for cigarettes or ice cream, why not also pick up some Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic? Your whole family will like the way Wild Root Cream Oil grooms the hair neatly and naturally, relieves dryness, and removes loose dandruff. And ask your barber for a professional application of Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic. Again and again, the choice of men and women and children, too. Didn't make any mistakes. Of course you didn't. Are you really serious about getting out of town for a few days? I am. The world's too much with you, huh, Sam? Effie. I know it's poetry, Sam, but it seems kind of appropriate right now. I don't care if she did kill those two men. I feel sorry for her. What's that got to do with poetry? What kind of poetic justice? Oh. Why did she dress the way she did in, in, in that black dress and low heels? A uh, form of penance, eh? It's a mourning, absence of her missing lover. Yeah, no, no, no. Look, look, you'll have to type it all over if you keep that up. But, Sam, it's all so beautiful and tragic. Yeah. And you watched it all happen. Don't you understand? I'm so proud of you. Hmm. Oh, Sam. Come on, now. Come on. Dry up and go home. Good night, Sam. Good night, sweetheart. <laughs> The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, are produced and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. Loreen Tuttle is Effie. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade was written for radio by E. Jack Newman. Music was directed by Lud Gluskin, with score composed by Renee and Pierre Garrigan. Join us again next Sunday when author Dashiell Hammett and producer William Spear join forces for another adventure with Sam Spade. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men... And women and children, too. This is Dick Joy reminding you to... Get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie. It keeps your hair in trim. You see, it's non-alcoholic, Charlie. It's made for soothing lanolin. You better get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie. Start using it today. You'll find that you will have a tough time, Charlie. Keeping all the gals away. Hiya, Charlie. Get Wild Root right away. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.